0: This is the Only Human podcast from Community Radio 4ZZZ out of Brisbane, Australia. Uh, my name is Dr. Shannon Dodd. I'm a criminologist with the Thomas More Law School at Australian Catholic University based in Brisbane.
1: Uh, I'm Sophie Yates, Dr. Sophie Yates, and I'm um, a research fellow at the Public Service Research Group, UNSW Canberra. So,
2: Dr. Shannon and Dr. Sophie, could you tell us what got you interested in your research
1: for There's not just a gap, there's a chasm. Uh, Yeah, so um, Sophie speaking, Um, I guess like a lot of research, it started with what we thought was a fairly simple question, which is, um, well, I do some research on disability in the NDIS and my colleague, Carolyn Doyle, um, who we did this research with, she does work on services in prison and after prison. Carolyn asked me one day, so what happens to the NDIS when you go into prison? And I was like, I actually don't know. And she's, she's, she's the president of Prisoner's Aid, which is um, a, an organization that provides services to prisoners in the ACT. And she said that um, she was often at meetings, like with the ACT Council of Social Services, and this question would come up and no one seemed to know. So we thought, oh, that's a bit interesting, um, even if there must be policy about this. But even if there is policy, I guess it's not so well understood. So uh, And there's not actually much academic research either. So we thought that we would do a little project and talk to some people who worked in the area about what happens to the NDIS and kind of find out what the policy says and what the picture on the ground actually is. But then we decided to go a bit broader as well and look at disability services in prisons more generally.
2: So who um, did you talk to um, when you were doing this research? We ended up
0: interviewing about 28 individuals who worked uh, in a variety of areas in government and non-government. So we really targeted three kind of broad groups when we were trying to recruit our participants, and these were individuals who worked in criminal justice or disability advocacy services, also disability service providers and then also corrections as well. Uh, We focused on three jurisdictions, so we spoke to individuals from the ACT because that's where most of our research team are based but also in Victoria and New South Wales, because they are the states with the largest prisoner populations. So we really spoke to a broad variety of uh, individuals from, as I said, corrections, uh, human rights commissions, uh, forensic disability programs and police, also advocacy services, community law providers and, and so forth. So really a wide variety of people spoke to
2: us for the research. That sounds like a a pretty broad array of people that you spoke to. Could you also just tell us what you know about the demographics of people in the prison system?
0: Yeah, sure. So this is an area where there does remain quite a bit of uncertainty, uh, but there is a little bit of research which paints a bit of a picture for us about who is in prison and particularly as it relates to individuals with disability. So we do know that people with disability, and when I say that, we uh, mean specifically those with intellectual uh, or borderline intellectual disability, that they are overrepresented in Australia's prisons if we look at the rates in prison compared to within the general population. Some estimates tell us that about 10% of people in prison have a disability. Though when we take into account borderline intellectual disability, that increases to about 25% to 30%. There's also some research which tells us that certain types of disability uh, are even more common. So there is some research, for example, that tells us that about 4 out of 10 people in prison actually have an acquired brain injury. Uh, As for other demographics, there's some research that tells us that younger people Uh, First Nations individuals and those with a lower educational achievement, that they are also more likely to screen positive for intellectual disability in prison. Uh, And then also we know it's pretty common for people to have what we call comorbidities. So uh, higher rates of mental disorders, physical health issues like heart disease, obesity, hearing problems as well. So uh, it tends to be that individuals have quite uh, complex needs in prison.
2: And for people in prison who have a disability, what kind of access to supports are they able to get, if any?
0: Um, So this really did vary across prisons and across the jurisdictions, but we did hear an overwhelming message from our interviewees that generally there is just not enough support for people who have a disability and are incarcerated. Uh, The issue starts with the fact that generally corrections staff are not identifying uh, or screening people formally um, or even really very informally when they enter prison to establish if they have a disability, uh, if they are on an NDIS plan, for example. So these people tend to be slipping into prisons uh, without anybody actually identifying that they may have support needs. Uh, so we also heard then that, you know, the first issue is the lack of identification, uh, but that there simply just are not sufficient supports or accommodations available in prison for people with disability. Often individuals had to rely on uh, what our interviewees called kind of peer support arrangements. So prisoners had to rely on other prisoners uh, for some of their daily living supports. And what we heard from those that we spoke to was that uh At times, that can work really well if people are helping others out of the goodness of their hearts, but it also can potentially create unsafe environments, power imbalances, uh, and in the more extreme cases, it can actually lead to abuse and neglect. So it's fairly problematic to be relying on those kind of arrangements. We also heard that for those prisons that have disability-specific units, That can be a really good option for people with disability. The staff in those units tend to be trained uh, in these areas and often they do a really good job. The issue, though, is that not every prison has a disability-specific unit uh, and certainly even those that do have limited numbers of beds so they just can't accommodate the sheer number of people that may require that support. Uh, What concerned us was that we heard that often people with disability may actually... Uh, be managed through what they call the management units. Uh, And that is essentially quite a punitive or harsh response and sort of a, a punishment in and of itself to be placed into that kind of segregated unit. Uh, And then we also heard that there were issues in terms of even the provision of written materials. So uh, prisoners often have to complete certain programs in order to be eligible for parole, for example. Uh, But when they're provided these written materials and things to complete, often these aren't provided in easy read or in a more accessible form. So that can also pose an issue for people with intellectual disability in particular. In being able to meaningfully complete those sorts of programs so that they are eligible uh, potentially for supervised release. So those were some of the big issues that, that we did hear
2: about from our interviewees. I might just circle back to something you mentioned a little earlier. You talked uh, about uh, children in prison and I was wondering uh, if you could elaborate a little bit about the experience of children with disabilities in prison.
0: Um, yes, yeah, certainly. So that certainly wasn't uh, so much a focus of our research. Mm-hmm. Some of our interviewees did talk about the experiences of juveniles who are being held in uh, youth facilities, and we heard that there are similar issues as happens in the adult prisons, uh, but we really didn't focus so much on the youth offenders. Most of our interviewees uh, tended to work more so with uh, adult individuals who had disability and were incarcerated.
1: Um, I suppose I I would say that, um, Shannon, you probably know a bit more about the interview data than I do, but I I do recall some people saying that there can be actually not necessarily good, but more services, more disability services, more mental health services in uh, youth justice facilities. And then when people switch over to the adult facilities, there's basically nothing there for them. And so that's like, that's very problematic.
0: Yeah, certainly. So it can be the case that in in some ways, we may do a little bit better when it comes to juveniles in our youth centres, but as Sophie said, uh, often there's no continuation. So we know that often if you're in a youth centre, you may end up uh, transitioning or going back through the system and ending up in the adult system. Uh, But that once you get to the adult system, it is certainly a much harsher uh, kind of environment and and certainly not set up for people with disability. Mm. You are listening to the Only Human Podcast. Only Human is a weekly programme on social justice, disability rights, psychology, social research, and mental wellness. You can listen in Brisbane on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM and set digital on DAB Plus radios. Love community media? You can support 4ZZZ by subscribing or making a donation at 4ZZZFM.org.au.